EPC Church family, thank you so much for joining us for church this morning. And right now we are going to transition into a time of taking communion together. So please make sure you have your emblems ready and we can partake together this morning. To start, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and it says this, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together this morning. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to remember the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. God, for your broken body given for us 
God, in our place. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this incredible sacrifice that you made out of an abundance of love for us. Lord, may we not go a day without remembering what you have done. Lord, we love you. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's partake together this morning. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for the blood that you shed on the cross for us. And Lord Jesus, once again, we just thank you for the incredible, awe-inspiring sacrifice that you made for each and every person. And Lord Jesus, the freedom that we can receive from our sins because of that sacrifice. God, just the incredible demonstration of love that you have shown for each and every one of your children. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we give you praise for how good you are. And God, as we continue on with our day, may we remember each and every moment of our lives the sacrifice that you have made for us. May it draw us closer to you. We thank you for your love. We love you, Jesus. In your name, Lord. Amen.
Our scripture reading today is found in 1 Kings chapter 19 and 2 Kings chapter 2. So Elijah went and found Elisha son of Shaphat plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to all the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what had happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Hello, everyone. I really enjoy nature programs, learning about animals and birds, insects, fish, plants, and trees. I actually recently enjoyed an episode about grass. It's amazing how therapeutic it can be just watching grass grow. There is one animal that really catches my attention. It is the African impala. It's a remarkable creature. Not only can it run at a speed in excess of 60 kilometers an hour, but it can leap a distance of 10 meters or approximately 30 feet and a height of three meters, approximately 10 feet high. Its agility is attributed to the fact that the impala releases high levels of oxygen and glucose quickly to its muscles. Now, even though this animal can run fast, leap high and far, it can actually be kept in an enclosure in any zoo that is three feet high and solid. You see, the African impala will not jump unless it can see where its feet will land. So despite the, its incredible ability, it can be contained by the fear of the unknown. Truth is, many of us are like the African impala. We sometimes limit where God wants to take us because we're afraid of the unknown. Today, we will be addressing the importance of letting go of the security of our present circumstances in order to embrace where God is leading us. And so we will be reminded today that to embrace the future that God has for us, sometimes we need to let go of our present security and embrace the unknown. Now we'll be considering the story of Elisha found in 1 Kings chapter 19 and also 2 Kings chapter 2. The first thing I want us to consider today is security. Earlier in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, we read of God instructing Elijah, the prophet, 
to go and find Elisha and anoint him to become his successor as the primary prophet of Israel. Immediately, Elijah set out and he found Elisha plowing in a field in a place called Abel Mahola. Now, this area was the breadbasket of the Jordan River Valley. The literal translation of Abel Mahola was meadow of dancing. It appears that Elisha's family had a profitable farming business, and most farms would own one yoke of oxen, but Elisha's family farm had 12 yokes of oxen and plows to go with each. This farm was a big operation in these times, and the number of oxen and plows suggest that Elisha came from a very wealthy, very prosperous farming family. The picture we see here is of a very prosperous and positive situation. Things are good. Everyone is working hard and they're experiencing great success as a result. Elisha is content. He's comfortable. He's settled in and he's successful. Elisha is very secure living in the meadow of dancing. Life is great and his future is bright. Secondly, let's consider interruption. Unexpectedly, Elijah arrived in the meadow of dancing and walked up to Elisha while he was plowing in the field. It's important to understand that Elijah was a well-known prophet in Israel and was very recognizable. If he were around today, he would have thousands of followers on social media. Now, it appears that no words were exchanged between them, but Elijah's actions were thunderously loud and made a significant statement. Elijah took off his cloak and threw it around Elisha. The cloak was the outer garment that held great symbolism for Elijah. For a prophet, the cloak was a symbol of their divine calling, that they were wrapped in God's authority, that they were clothed in the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. When Elijah wrapped his cloak around Elisha, there was no question as to what was happening here. It was as if a king was passing their scepter to their heir, the next successor in line. Elisha would become Elijah's successor. He would be the future primary prophet in Israel. For Elisha, this would mean leaving a successful farming business behind leaving his financial security to follow God's call into the unknown. Elisha's response was immediate. He didn't take time to process what had happened. He didn't make a chart listing the pros and the cons. Immediately, he knew that God was asking him to do this. And Elisha left the oxen and the plow and ran after Elijah. All he asked of Elijah was an opportunity to say goodbye. Elisha simply wanted to conclude his present life appropriately, to wrap up loose ends, to say goodbye to his family, his friends, his community. Elijah encouraged him to go back and do this. This moment was the end of Elisha the farmer and the beginning of Elisha the prophet. He could have stayed living in the dancing meadow. He could have stayed with his family. He could have enjoyed a secure life with lots of money and success. But instead, he chose to accept the call of God 
to become a prophet, and he ended this season of his life in dramatic form. He chopped up his personal plow to build a fire, he cooked the oxen over the fire, and he shared and celebrated his decision with those who came to the party. To embrace the future that God had for him, he needed to let go of his present security. He needed to embrace the unknown and trust God with his future. Destroying the plow symbolized that there was no going back. Elisha went from being a wealthy farmer to a prophet apprentice learning from Elijah. Thirdly, let's consider faithfulness. In 2 Kings chapter 2, we read of the time for Elijah's ministry to come to an end and for Elisha's ministry to become fully realized. Elijah and Elisha approached the Jordan River together. When they arrived at the river's edge, Elijah took off his cloak, the same cloak that he had earlier wrapped around Elisha to confirm his calling. He rolled it up and then he struck the water with it. Immediately, the waters miraculously parted and Elijah and Elisha passed over to the other side. We are told that there were 50 other prophets nearby that witnessed this great miracle. Once on the other side, Elijah told Elisha that the time had come for him to leave, which meant that Elisha the apprentice would assume the role of the primary prophet of Israel. Elijah asked him what he could do for him prior to his departure. Without hesitation, Elisha knew what he wanted. He knew what he needed for him to be successful in carrying out the calling that God had placed on his life. He said, Elijah, I want a double portion of your anointing. Now, it's important to understand what Elisha meant when he asked for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. He was not asking to be twice as anointed as Elijah. He wasn't asking to be twice as powerful as Elijah. He wasn't asking to do twice the number of miracles as Elijah. The words double portion are inheritance terminology. Elisha was about to inherit Elijah's ministry. And in this culture, the oldest son was entitled to a larger portion of the father's inheritance than the other sons, because the older son would become the leader of the family. And being the leader of the family meant caring for everyone in the family. So more inheritance was needed to fulfill one's responsibility as the primary heir. What Elisha is saying to Elijah is this. If I'm going to succeed you and carry on the ministry that God has called us to as the primary prophets in Israel, I will need the same anointing the same empowering of the Holy Spirit that was evidenced in your life. I want to be anointed like you are anointed. In that moment, Elijah was taken up into heaven and his cloak, the symbol of the empowering of the Spirit, fell to the ground. The symbol of Elijah's calling and anointing as the primary prophet in Israel was now laying on the ground at Elisha's feet. Immediately, Elisha picked it up 
and he rolled it up like Elijah had done earlier. And he walked over to the river's edge and hit the water with it, the same as Elijah did before they crossed over. This would be the true test of whether Elijah's anointing was now transferred to Elisha. When the cloak hit the water and the water immediately parted, the same 50 prophets who had witnessed the miracle of the parting of the water earlier when Elijah hit the water with his cloak now witnessed the water parting for Elisha as he performed the same act. And they responded by affirming the same anointing of the Holy Spirit that was on Elijah is now on Elisha. Elisha was faithful to God's call, even though it meant letting go of his financial security. And he trusted God by embracing the unknown in complete obedience. Scripture records 28 miracles performed by Elisha as he ministered under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Elisha was faithful to God, and God responded to Elisha's obedience and faithfulness by being faithful in return to him. There are three observations that I would like to draw from our scripture today. The first is change. The subject of change has been a prominent theme in my 30 plus years of pastoral ministry. I have had to help people navigate sudden, unexpected changes in their lives. I've had to help people come to the realization that they need to change some things in their lives in order to see God's potential fulfilled in their lives. I've had to lead change in churches and organizations in order for them to be healthy and fulfill God's intention for them for the future. I've had to navigate deep-rooted change in my own life and even wrestle through my own values and beliefs, even changing my perspective on some things. In summary, what I have learned about change is that change is difficult for most of us. In fact, most of us aren't pursuing change even though we may be frustrated with the way things are. I've learned that most of us do not fear change itself. We fear the perceived loss associated with change. What we believe will no longer exist once the change takes place. While there is much to applaud about stability, there's no question, the truth is change is absolutely necessary. Without change, we will not personally grow. One of the priorities of the Holy Spirit in our lives is changing us from deep within. And while change is painful, we will not grow without it. Without change, we'll never accomplish the things that God wants to accomplish in our lives and through our lives. Without change, the things in our lives that we fear will forever hold us captive because if we always do what we've always done, well, we'll always have what we always had. Simply put, we'll be stuck. Without change, we will not be able to impact the lives of others, our families, friends, co-workers, fellow students, neighbors. Folks, God is calling us to greater things, exciting things, 
fulfilling things. But unless we are willing to change, unless we are willing to allow him to change us, we will never experience these things. Change is necessary. Secondly, choice. When God asks us to surrender everything to him, to change, to follow where he is leading us, we have a choice to make. We can choose to obey his invitation, his call. We can do what he's asking us to do. Or we can choose to keep doing what we have been doing and remain unchanged. Now, sometimes we resist responding to the change that God wants to bring in our lives because, well, like Elisha, we're content. We're comfortable. We're settled. We're successful. And we don't want to give that up. Sometimes we resist responding to the change that God wants to bring in our lives because we are so overwhelmed with the pain and the disappointment and the failure and the circumstances of our lives and we feel hopeless and stuck and we can't seem to make the changes we know we need to make if we're going to move forward. We learn from scripture that it is always better to be obedient to God and trust him in the changes that he desires to make, even when it doesn't appear to be in our favor, because God always has our best interest at heart. He desires for us to reach our full potential for him, and he knows what that's going to entail. Are we content to live at a level below what God intended for us when there is so much more that he wants to do? Someone has said, we are ready to move forward when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. When we are sick and tired of being sick and tired, when enough is enough. And so God is asking us today to choose to move forward with him. Are we willing to choose to do that today or not? There's a choice. Thirdly, conclusion. To begin a new chapter in your life, you have to end the old chapter. Elisha burned the plow. He removed any possibility of ever going back, symbolizing that he was fully committed. These type of moments are not moments that take place in the past or in the future. They are moments that take place in the here and now. We learn from the past. We plan and prepare for the future. But we make decisions in the here and now. And what we do now is very important. In Amos chapter 5 verses 4 to 6, we read about Israel, and Israel is instructed by God to not go back to three places, Gilgal, Bethel, and Beersheba. Now, these three places held great significance for Israel. They were really important places, and God wasn't discrediting how important and valuable those places were and what took place at those places. These places held great significance. There were altars that were built there. And altars in scripture were established as reminders to God's people that he had been faithful to them 
in the past. And so the purpose of altars was not so that they could live in the past. It was so they could have faith because of God's faithfulness in the past to believe in the future. Israel needed to seek God in the present so that they could move into their future, but not be stuck in the past. Some of us need to stop living in the past. We need to burn our plows and respond to God by moving forward with him. Only by burning our plows can we eliminate the possibility of going back. We cannot go back to bad habits. We can't go back to addictions. We can't go back to failure and or even success. We can't go back to regrets or guilt. We can't go back to an old way of life. We need to stop romanticizing the past. We need to stop regretting the past. We need to learn from the past and we need to move into our future. Conclusions are important to moving forward. As I conclude this message today, I'd like to ask all of us, is God prompting us to make changes in our lives? Do we have a thousand excuses as to why this is not something we want to do? Are we ready to trust God that he has an exciting future for us? Are we ready to start the next chapter and stop living in the past? Are we ready to burn the plow with no thoughts of going back? Folks, to embrace the future that God has for us, sometimes we need to let go of our present security and embrace the unknown.
I want to thank you for joining us today. If we can be of assistance to you, please let us know by email or by call. God bless you and have a great week. Bye.